from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. They're wheeling into the holidays in Tennessee. I'm Charles Denny. University of Tennessee Extension employees are helping to play Santa this holiday season, building and delivering bikes to children here in Memphis. That story coming up on Ag Day. A rare find here what Machinery Pete says makes this combine so unique in the used market. And a first step toward helping corn-based bioethanol take flight. I think they've laid the foundation. What it means for producers right now on Ag Day. Ag Day, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when the testing grounds meet the proving grounds. Pioneer, what's next happens here. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. It's being called a win for the ethanol industry, a plan for claiming tax credits on sustainable aviation fuel. However, the administration also says it will update the plan by March 1st of next year, and that has some in the industry concerned about what that could mean. Agnes Michelle Rook has been poring over what this means for the ethanol industry and for corn growers. Clinton ethanol industry officials tell me the administration is recognizing the Department of Energy's GREEP model in the SAF tax credit rules, which is a good first step. That guidance signals corn-based bioethanol's potential ability to participate in the SAF market, but they caution more clarity is needed. The Department of Energy's Argonne Greenhouse Gases Regulated Emissions and Energy Use and Technologies model is science-based and is widely accepted as the gold standard carbon model. Under Greek corn-based bioethanol, sustainable aviation fuel reduces greenhouse gases by at least 50 percent and would qualify for the tax credit. However, Treasury is releasing an updated Greek model March 1st, so officials with Growth Energy say they're waiting for more details. Biden administration has recognized the value of the Greek model. Um, you know, there will be what it calls the Section 40B model that they plan on putting out by March and it's really important to get the details right. So I think they've laid the foundation for ensuring that American uh, crop-based biofuels like corn starch bioethanol can qualify, but it really is gonna, the devils are really gonna be in the details. So we are uh, awaiting that final determination come March. New investments in SAF are highly dependent on the pending GREET modeling update. So Kekish says that the industry needs more clarity around the proposed changes so they can have certainty around market access. So when we hear that the agency, the Treasury Department, is looking to develop a new GREET model uh, for Section 40B specifically, we're very keen to ensure that that accuracy that we've come to expect from GREET will carry through uh, come March when they issue this new guidance on it. This credit provides a sliding scale uh, between $1.25 and $1.75 once you've reached the threshold uh, carbon reduction requirements. And we want to make sure that uh, we get full recognition for every uh, effort that we're making to reduce that carbon intensity score. Under the guidance, SAF produced from other biofuels, including Brazilian cane bioethanol, also qualify for the 40B tax credit. Growth Energy says U.S. tax policy should not give an advantage to foreign firms over domestic facilities. I'm Michelle Rook reporting for Ag Day. All right, thanks, Michelle. Now, the American Soybean Association also happy with the new SAF guidance, releasing a statement saying, quote, now with this guidance supporting soy and other plant-based feedstocks going into sustainable aviation fuel, the sky truly is the limit for soy, end quote. And farmers may be growing more soybeans next year to supply another fuel, renewable diesel. 
CoBank releasing its year-ahead report saying the renewable diesel boom and the smaller soybean harvest of this year will drive an expansion of soybean acres next year. Researchers say both ethanol producers and soybean crushers are benefiting from rising demand for biofuels, but they say grain and oilseed prices hinge largely on the value of the U.S. dollar, along with weak conditions in Russia and harvests of corn and soybeans in South America. Now, the forecasters say the biggest problem heading into 2024 is the elevated cost of production. They say while fertilizer prices have fallen, other costs of production remain high, but they say ag commodities overall will benefit of more upside price risk than down next year. A rainy weekend for much of the eastern part of the country, but some might be wondering where the snow is. Meteorologist Martin Lorimore has a look ahead. Yeah, and moisture in any form is honestly welcome across a lot of the nation, especially these areas in the darker oranges and reds, those places in the severe, extreme and exceptional drought. Now, things have improved a little bit as we have actually gotten throughout this week. This is the latest drought monitor that came out on our Thursday, and a lot of those darker areas used to be a lot darker. Most of Louisiana was actually in the exceptional drought, so things have improved. And as we head into this week, we're watching as this last of the, of the system that actually got several inches across parts of the southeast, now making its way off the eastern seaboard and into the Atlantic. But we're also watching another little rain system that could give a good maybe inch across some parts of the central part of the plains, stretching up toward the Great Lakes. And you can see out toward the West Coast, a lot of rain and a little bit of snow out there as well. That should help things stay above average when it comes to that precipitation outlook as we head into our next week leading up into Christmas. Now it's a little bit still on the harvesting, still rolling across some parts of the country. Ryan Sorrells of El Reno, Oklahoma, my home state, he said they're finally getting the last field of 2023. And well, he's making a quick work of it too. I'll have more in your forecast coming up. An update to an explosion at a corn milling operation in Wisconsin that killed five people back in 2017. The company reaching a settlement with the Department of Labor. The Cambria-based company agreeing to pay $1.8 million in penalties. It's the result of an explosion in May of 2017 that killed five workers and injured dozens of others. Didion Milling has also agreed to make extensive safety and health improvements and work with OSHA experts. Officials say they're holding leaders accountable for changing the company culture and focusing on safety and health. Now, this follows the conviction of a company leader by a federal grand jury in Madison this October and a guilty plea and agreement to pay restitution for more than $10 million to victims and a $1 million criminal fine back in September. And federal officials say they're working to stop what they call a $191 million cattle Ponzi scheme. The Securities Exchange Commission accusing Texas-based cattle company Agridime. It says the company claims to specialize in meat sales, distribution, and animal supply chain management. It claims the owners, Josh Link of Gilbert, Arizona, and Jed Wood of Fort Worth, diverted millions of dollars in investor funds to make Ponzi payments, as well as to pay sales commissions to themselves and others. They say the defendants raised at least $191 million from more than 2,100 investors in at least 15 states. Now, the SEC says it has obtained a temporary restraining order, asset freeze, and receiver appointment for the company. Well, markets are gearing up for the holiday week. We'll take a look at what to expect coming up next in Markets Now. And later, these Tennessee volunteers are giving their time and their tools to help bring bikes to one community in the country. And we have our first winner of the Case IH Holiday Giveaway. Shanae Miller of Springfield, Illinois is the lucky winner 
of a Case IH prize pack, including a mug, a holiday ornament, a toy tractor, and more. Now we'll continue to draw prize pack winners each day this week. So be sure to hurry and register while there's still time at CaseIHHolidayGiveaway.com. Now this weekend, just in time for Christmas, U.S. Farm Report will reveal the winner of our grand prize, a Farm All C pedal tractor. Be sure to sign up and tune in to see if your name gets called. CaseIHHolidayGiveaway.com. Your next piece of equipment is on MachineryPete.com. Search equipment from dealerships across the country to find what you're looking for. Only on MachineryPete.com. Fresh export sales weren't enough to lift soybeans on Friday as the market continues to watch South American weather. Michelle Rook has more in Markets Now. Grains ending mostly higher on Friday, except for a few of the soybean contracts. Darren Newsom, senior market analyst with Bar Chart, is joining us. Darren, let's talk about corn and weed. How much of the uptick there on Friday was just some end of the year short covering? Yeah, I think I think uh, a good deal of what we saw was uh, was indeed short covering. It'll be interesting to see uh, the total open interest numbers, particularly for Chicago wheat uh, here. You know, the last number of weeks when. You know, we when we see the market rally and post, you know, some solid double-digit gains, uh, almost invariably, when we look at the CME website the next morning, uh, we see the total open interest has dropped, and so this tells us, you know, that funds are simply covering their short positions. So I think we saw some of that in Chicago wheat. I think we saw a little bit of it uh, going on over in corn, just not quite as enthusiastic, uh, but still, both markets were able to close higher. And we kind of had a mixed close in soybeans, but saw two-sided trade during the day. So you kind of got the Brazil weather story on one hand and maybe some demand news on the other, kind of a tug of war there. I, I think most of this did come from the weather, and it's what I like to call WWW activity or wraparound weather market weekend. So we see, you know, the, we see the forecast going into the weekend that that drives Friday's trades uh, trade. And early on this, you know, on Friday morning, we saw. You know, we saw some uh, forecasts for more rain across much of Brazil. And it looks like by the time we got to the close, some of that rain had been taken out. So the contracts were able to rally. But again, you know, the, the biggest part of the rally came in the January contract. And so we have to take it with a bit of a grain of salt. Uh, you know, it's mostly been moved away from there. The, most of the open interest now is in, uh, in March. So and, and really the contract to watch with Brazilian weather is that May issue sitting up. As we start a new week, Darren, um, are we going to see, you know, some of this holiday, thin trade, weather? What are we going to be watching? All the above. Uh, I think it is going to be thinner trade. Uh, you know, corn certainly had some very quiet sessions. Uh, and this leaves the door open to things like what we've seen recently in the Chicago wheat with large moves. Uh, and so it means I, I do think it's still going to be weather. I think it's going to be demand. Uh, certainly a time of year when we need to see some demand picking up. Uh, for U.S. soybeans. So I think it's going to be all of the above, everything you mentioned. Thanks for joining us, Darren Newsom with Bar Chart, and we'll have more Ag Day coming up. As we get into our
on Monday. We're watching the last remaining bits of this system. We see some snow across parts of the Great Lakes stretching into New England, and this will eventually make its way out of the region as we head into our Tuesday and Wednesday. But we're watching as another system sticks around along the West Coast. That'll actually give some decent amounts of rainfall and a little bit of snow out toward the Sierra Nevadas. They'll be seeing that, but most of it should still become down as rain as temperatures remain at or above average. And as we head into that midweek, start seeing this low pressure area of influence kind of pushing across parts of the Rockies into the central plains. It will give some snow out toward the Rockies. Ski resorts definitely happy with that, but the rain across the central part of the uh, nation, especially in those plains, they're definitely wanting to see that as a lot of them are sitting in those drought conditions. So temperatures stay staying pretty all right. A lot of us actually seeing those very cool temperatures near average as we head into our overnight temperatures do fall. We can see freezing temperatures stretching all the way down to the central southern plains, getting almost down to the Red River. You see Amarillo 28 as we get into tonight. It's a bit of a chilly one, but you can see that warm air really just making its way back across the central plains and southern plains, even places out toward Phoenix and Los Angeles. And I'm not really surprised they're sitting in the 70s, but you can really watch this with the gesture right here. There's that low pressure, the last bit of that system making its way out on as we get into our Monday and Tuesday area of high pressure really sticking over most of the nation that will keep this place dry. Not so good warm. Still pretty good. Honestly, with this time of year, warm weather is not exactly uh, a downside. But you can really see as we get into the West Coast, there's that area of low pressure just meandering along the western seaboard, and that's giving them a lot of that uh, rain and, of course, that snow in the Sierra Nevada. So they're watching it pretty closely again as we get into this next several days. Could see several inches of rain across the entirety of the uh, border on the Pacific Ocean as we head into this week. So a little bit of that rainfall. We're still not expecting as much rain as they saw in the eastern uh, seaboard across the southeast with that system that came through. So they're still going to be expecting a majority of the nation, especially this side of the Appalachians, to be way above average as we head into this next week. And of course, making its way into Christmas. And yeah, that white Christmas looking a little bit on the lower side. Rexburg, Idaho. It's a chilly one. High 36, low 14. Sweetwater, Texas, where the water is sweet. A little bit nicer. Temperatures in the 60s, lows in the 40s. And finally, Bradford, Pennsylvania, somewhere in the middle. Temperatures getting to the 50s for the highs. Every once in a while, you stumble across a machine that has an incredible story. Well, Machinery Pete has one that fits the bill coming up next. And later, giving the gift of time. How these volunteers in Tennessee are working hard to help a community this holiday season. A 2009 John Deere Combine never used. Sounds too good to be true? Well, Machinery Pete gets to the bottom of one recent auction listing. All right, folks, today we're going to talk combines. Now, I'm smiling because if you follow Machinery Pete on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, I'm guessing you're going to know the combine I want to talk about today. And the story starts the afternoon of December 12th when I got a message from Dan in our Machinery Pete office. And Dan said, Pete, you got to check this out. A farmer from South Dakota just clicked on the sell mine link on machinerypeat.com and listed this combine for sale. It's a 2009 John Deere 9570 STS, zero separator hours, never used, always been in the shed, one owner combine. So you know me, I'm, I'm the, my Paul Harvey thing, I need the rest of the story, so I pick up the phone and call the seller, and he's a young farmer. His name is uh, Adam Borman, very sharp guy, really fun to talk to. And Adam said, Pete, you know, it's an interesting tale. 
said, my dad, Randy, and my grandpa, Delton, bought this combine new in 2009 from Notaboom Implement in Corsica, South Dakota, which is now CNB Operations. But Adam said when they got the combine home, his father, Randy, who just passed this past January, uh, changed their crop rotation and got away from corn and had the soybeans uh, custom done for years. So the combine just sat in the shed new. And like I said, fortunately, Randy passed away in January. And Adam's a young guy. He's in the seed business. Uh, Adam just decided my best play is to sell this combine. And he listed it at 249900 bucks. And Adam asked me, Pete, what do you think of my price? And I said, Adam, if I were you, I'd, I'd list it for the same price. Because uh, you know what's new in cost? It's hard to find these pre-def ones with low hours, these smaller class combines. This is a one-in-a-lifetime deal here with no hours on a brand new. And I tell you folks, I posted a blog on the night of the 12th on this combine, and it was the most viral blog I've ever posted. In a couple of minutes, we had over 800 clicks on this 9570 combine. And by the way, if you're looking for a wowzer last minute Christmas gift, a 2009 9570 with zero hours on it, go to machinerypeat.com, here's your chance. All right, thanks Pete. Well, up next, spending some time with a wrench this holiday season. We'll see how volunteers are building bikes for a community in Memphis. We're off to Tennessee next. University of Tennessee Extension employees are part of a holiday service project where they provided bikes for children this Christmas. And as Charles Denny reports, they donated their time to build and deliver some new wheels. Wrenches cranking, playing the role first of hardworking elf. UT Extension agents, specialists, and staff are putting new bikes together, a service project to serve a Memphis charity this holiday season. A jolly team-building experience for all, including Kenny Herndon from Carroll County, a more than capable mechanic. You know, luckily we don't have to have torque wrenches and welders and some of us were wanting to bring, you know, our, our home tool kid, pull up the trailer, <laughs> but they kind of calmed me down on that. They was like, no, we're not going to need all that. <laughs> UT Extension agents talk to 4-Hers about the importance of donating your time. And here they demonstrate that notion with their own kind action bike building as a way to help the Memphis community. You know, we're in the, the volunteer state, and so we're part of volunteerism, and our, and our agents on a, on a daily basis and our specialists volunteer throughout their local communities, and so this is a great opportunity for us to go ahead and continue that volunteer spirit. This project was part of the staff development program, the Tennessee Extension Leadership Academy. Meetings are being held across the state with this gathering at the historic Peabody Hotel. The famed ducks were entertaining, but not really helpful when it comes to bike assembly. But the Peabody did transform into the North Pole of Shelby County with an assembly line of agents going at it. And within an hour, they had 10 completed bikes. So they're learning about their personal strengths, how to apply it in a team scenario to leading within the organization. So we're hoping that the extension professionals that are participating in the bike building today are applying those knowledges that they have gained up to this point. Santa may have his sleigh, but soon some kids will be peddling their own form of transportation. That's the goal as Extension delivered the bikes to the Memphis organization Knowledge Quest. 
Uh, we look at it as transforming lives by expanding minds. Knowledge Quest leaders are grateful the bikes going to youngsters served in their after school program. Uh, it's going to be a surprise uh, to, to the 10 students that were selected, but they were selected based on their attendance here. And so, yes, I'm, I too am waiting to see um, their smiling faces. Santa is a busy dude Christmas Eve, and these agents can help ease his schedule by finding new owners for these bikes. This conference is about leadership, and a true leader gives their time and thinks of others. This is Charles Denny reporting. All right, thanks, Charles. And that's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad you tuned in from all of us here at Ag Day and coming with us. Have a great day.